Well, hello and welcome to our next podcast. So glad that you are listening in with us today. I'm hoping that you have been enjoying the podcast. We always welcome your feedback of the things that are being discussed. And uh, I have personally enjoyed being able to speak with you some afterwards to be able to talk about some of the podcasts we've had. And perhaps today would be one that would be a good one to give us some feedback on as well. My name is Daniel. I'm the lead pastor here at Peninsula, and I'm excited to be here with uh, some other pastors that are on staff here. We have joining us uh, Pastor Adam Moore, Pastor Steve Mangum, and Pastor Nate Garrett, uh, who are coming in and talking about uh, a topic that came out of a question and answer time that we had during uh, one of our equip events on a Sunday evening here where the pastors were asked questions and we responded to those, which turned out to be an amazing night. I really enjoyed that. I love coming around the Bible and discussing things, uh, matters that matter to the heart, that matter to God, that matter to who we are as God's people today. And so today comes off of a question that came out, and we realized when the question came out that it would be more than we could answer in that night. And so, uh, Pastor Adam, if you would just start out and remind us of what the question was that we're talking about today, and then I will come back around and kind of kind of give some introduction to it. Absolutely. Uh, the question that was asked was, can a person who is a practicing homosexual be a genuine follower of Christ? Okay, so that was the original question, and Pastor Mangum uh, took that question and answered it and did a phenomenal job of giving the framework of, of the biblical answer to that, and uh, but we knew that there was more around that question, that uh, people kind of know some of the, the answers to it. But I wanted to say a few things before we kind of start chiming in and just talking through these things. Uh, I want today's podcast to be more of just a discussion. In other words, what I'm saying to the listener is that we don't have uh, this uh, spreadsheet in front of us that we're going to follow these talking points. We're just going to discuss this. Because what I want the listeners to hear today is uh, that we as pastors sit around and have conversations about these things. Um, we're not afraid to talk about these things, and, and we, we, you know, we know what's on the hearts of some people. Uh, what people are grappling with in their own minds and their hearts. And I, I want the listener today to know that we grapple with these things as well, and that the, the Scripture is not afraid of these questions. And uh, I, I think uh, some of the groundwork that I want to put out here is this. If you're listening to this today, um, and you're one that's grappling in your own mind with it, but perhaps you're one that's just you know kind of exploring your gender, exploring uh, your lifestyle, and you're trying to kind of grapple with making sense of what the Bible says and what the culture is saying. I want to say we got to have grace here. Uh, so I want to set you pastors free from feeling like you need to walk on eggshells. In other words, we're not going to come at you with with a big hammer as a listener or anything like that. But we have to have grace going both directions, right? So um, I might choose a, a phraseology that might not sit well with someone that's listening to it, but extend grace back to us as we're speaking about this, because I think what has happened in culture is this, and you guys can disagree with me and kind of clean this up, but I believe the culture has done such a great job in championing uh, the homosexual lifestyle and and put it out there in front of, and saying that it is okay, and the church has been kind of left in the lurch of, you know, we're either coming across as hate or we're coming across as silent. 
And uh, I struggle with that because we have to be free to have these discussions. We have to be able to come around God's Word and say, okay, here's something that we're dealing with, and we need to be able to talk about it openly and without coming at it from, uh, we're going to just put you in your place. So I'm hoping you as the listener will hear our hearts today. Uh, I said all that to say, we may say some things that that might not, you know, they may sting the ear a little bit. We're not purposely trying to put anybody in their place. We're just having a discussion around God's Word mm-hmm. and the things that we're grappling with as believers in 2022. And yeah. uh, I don't think this is a brand new grappling topic either, by the way. It's <laughs> no. been as, right. as, as from the very beginning of the fall. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of what we're talking about today. Yeah, even when you're talking about the beginning of the fall, you know, as we have been through Genesis recently, from the very beginning, a lot of our sin struggle is essentially saying that we want to design how we want to live on our own. We want to push back against uh, kind of an authority telling us how we should live. And that's going to be not just important for this conversation, but really for all ways of life. And, you know, even when we see now as believers, somewhere like Romans 8, that says that we are going to be conformed to the image of Christ. There's something in that that should be good news for us as believers to see we're going to become more like Christ, but then there's also this kind of sinful desire of ours to push back on that a little bit and say, I don't want to be conformed. You know, like our entire culture now uh, and society around us, the message is you kind of are a self-determining person. You get to decide how you want to live, what you're going to be like, and those sorts of things. We want to push back on that conform, but that is a good yeah, news just, for us. It just popped in my head as you were talking about that. It reminds me of of me raising my three girls, and when they were little, we would say something to them like, um, uh, don't touch that outlet in the wall, you know, that'll ouchie or whatever, you know, trying to <laughs> teach someone. We'll say, don't touch that, but they would look you right in the eye, and their hand would start extending right out toward the yeah. outlet, and you're thinking, really? I just told you not to do that. Yeah. There, you're right. There's something within our nature that wants to push against the authoritative design. And uh, that's that sin nature that we have within us, and we need to identify that Mm -hmm. and say that we all are struggling with that, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. This is Pastor Nate here, by the way, in case you can't tell from all the voices. One of the the reasons I think uh, we struggle with even coming to the table around a conversation like this in our culture is that we've kind of moved some definitions of words that we're used to for years and years and years. And it it puts you feeling like you're on the outside of being able to say anything. So for instance, not just as the word love changed over time and love uh, often is regarded as the highest ethic. And so when, when people look at love and God being love and so forth, and we start putting things into the category of love, we take action and so forth and put that there. Um, we, we've, we've shifted that definition. We shift the definition of hate as well. So love becomes, in modern society, affirming all that a person does, thinks, and feels. And hate becomes disagreeing with someone or standing opposed to something that a person thinks or feels or does. And uh, those love can coexist with not affirming somebody's actions. And that's always been so. Well, if, and the reason that is is because truth yeah. is outside of us. We need to realize right. that the truth is outside of us. Truth is God's standard, and it's outside of us. We Correct. don't decide what truth is. God, in His creative design, has already decided Absolutely. what truth is, and that's why we've made it a part of ours. As if my truth is what is truth. Correct. To me. And so if we if we then 
share truth, um, it's looked at as a, a if, it, if it differs with somebody's feelings, that, it, that it's no longer a loving thing to do so. So an example would be if you had somebody in your family who was a, a kleptomaniac and they, they stole things often. Um, an unloving thing to do for that person, if you just kind of wrote them off, might be they don't come to family Thanksgiving. Um, they're not invited at Christmas because of that. Uh, you could still invite them, but a, a, a practical thing to do would not to be to take your wallet out and lay it on the coffee table to put that temptation before them. Uh, it wouldn't mean that you weren't loving because you kept your wallet somewhere else or you, you uh, locked up valuables around your house. It's just you understand the truth of the matter, but your love for that person's still there where they're always welcome in your home and so forth. And so this can happen with somebody who may be experiencing same-sex attraction and so forth, that as a Christian, I can come along, and as a, as a family member or as a friend, I can, I can still love that person. Because if you're going to talk about things that um, possibly point to us not really being a believer, First uh, John 4, 7, and 8 talk about if we don't love, we don't know God, because God is love. Uh, but that is different than than speaking truth, and we can speak the truth in love to somebody. Good. So this sets the foundation. Pastor Steve, I'm going to come back around to you and see if you can maybe nutshell for us, uh, just in a few sentences, kind of the biblical response that you gave to that question. Can a practicing homosexual uh, be a believer in Christ? Was that the original question? Did I phrase that correctly? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's the original right. question. If, and if you remember that night, I kind of broke down that question a little bit. And maybe, I think at the end of it all, I think even you guys were glad that I did that. But I wanted to be clear on how that question was being asked. Mm-hmm. But I did. But I did come to a, a conclusion, I guess, um, that night that I believe what the author was actually asking was, can you be a homo- practicing homosexual and a Christian at the same time? Mm-hmm. And the answer was no. Right. And so we want to kind of drive down on that a little bit mm-hmm. and discuss that, to have discussions around the table, because you know, you've got people listening and they're hearing that, and that comes across as a heavy hammer, right? And uh, we want to bring truth in love. And I think you did that just then, right. and I think you did right. that that night right. too. But yeah, I want the, us to open the discussion a little bit. I'm not saying you weren't loving. I know that came across <laughs> that way. Yeah. I'm I was saying say, if to you want, someone listening, yeah. sometimes truth hurts, and yeah. we don't like what it says. And so well, I, with, that's kind of what well, I want to— that, that short answer, I, I, you know, with that short answer, just summarizing what the actual answer <laughs> is, uh, that night, and, and again, I would always want to do this when I'm discussing it, is, is talk in both grace, you know, with much grace and with love, as, as Nate was explaining. Um, and it's just impossible to uh, live a, to live that type of life or that lifestyle and be in God's, um, I don't know if God's will is the right thing to say, but um, for the original creation mm-hmm. of the sexual relationship that God created, and I tried to remind mm-hmm. everybody, he did create that relationship. Um, it's like saying, no, God didn't create that, and that's not what it's about. 
But God did create that. He created them male and female for that purpose, for them mm-hmm. to come together in one flesh. That He's talking about sex mm-hmm. right there. He's yeah, talking about yeah. the sexual mm-hmm. relationship. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And the reason he did that, it says in Scripture, um, that he created them male and female for that purpose. Yeah, also, and, and to Jesus, Jesus revisits that when he's asked the question, right? Exactly. Um, and Matthew, well. he yeah, he takes everybody right back to the very beginning. He takes it back to the, I think it's Matthew nineteen, and he takes mm-hmm. it back to Genesis, mm-hmm. to what the original creation was. And I kind of want to speak to that for just a second to make some some overarching bold statements. <clears throat> Number one, God created us as sexual beings. And he designed sex to be a profoundly good uh, in it in and of itself in a specific context, yeah, right? And mm-hmm. and that's where we're pushing back. That's what you're talking about, Pastor Adam, about um, that we ha- we want to design our own thing. We yeah. want We want to lean into our own desires. And uh, uh, but the truth of the matter is, when it comes to that sexual discussion, we're all broken because mm-hmm. of sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, some may be struggling with. Uh, whether or not to pursue a homosexual lifestyle. Some may be struggling with whether or not to view pornography. Some may be struggling with whether to step out on their marriage. Some may be single and struggling with, you know, should I, you know, sleep with that person, you know, even though I'm not married. It's all a brokenness of a sin nature that we're grappling with. And why we're talking about this as a church and not some of those other things is because the culture is making it such a big deal as if it should be okay. That it's, right. it's being celebrated, and so we have to come to the table and, and talk about it and, and do it in a loving way to say, hey, look, we know some people listening even today to this podcast uh, could be grappling with this. You're, you're, you, you don't, you're not the only one that's broken in this. We're all broken yeah. broken when it comes to but, the, the sexual desires. And I think, let, let's go back to the original question for a second, because I, I don't want you to mishear us on this and to think, oh, well, we mentioned somebody looking at porn or this or that, and um, I guess they can't be a Christian too, or this, because we just said that if somebody is a homosexual, what we're saying is practicing is the key word, um, where if somebody is habitually in a lifestyle where they're committing any sin and they're okay with it and they have no conviction from the Holy Spirit, that person's not a believer. Uh, There's no biblical evidence that the Holy Spirit allows us to do something against God's will without providing conviction there to where it becomes something that we are just involved in and that we see ourselves as. So our identity is no longer in Christ. It's in this thing. This is what I am now. And so that would be true of somebody who's in 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 the habitual lifestyle of, of pornography or stealing or gossip or slander, any anything like that. Though there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit there, there's there's no evidence in our spirit that we are in Christ. So would you say then, because what it sounds like I'm hearing you say is if someone is grappling with this that's maybe giving evidence of their desire to follow Christ. Absolutely. I mean, it could be your conscience and, and everything you've you've grown up in, and so you're questioning whether it's true. But it, it, it could be evidence. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Right. If you've made a decision to follow Christ and and you've you've surrendered and taken up your cross and followed him, but now you're grappling with the 
daily taking up your cross and following him and denying yourself. And how do you reconcile the way you're feeling um, with what you're reading in scripture? And there are people who try to reconcile it, and it creates way more problems Mm -hmm. trying to reconcile some of those things because it causes the Bible to look like it's contradictory with other passages. Um, The Bible doesn't contradict. And so what it's saying is what it's saying. And so if you have and are experiencing same-sex attraction, and you are saying to God, this is, I know this is not of you. I'm not going to give in to this desire. I want to mortify those sins as they pop up if they, because I don't want them to become desires. I, I will leave them at temptation. To say that you couldn't be tempted in this area and be a Christian would be wrong That's because correct. Christ right. was tempted yep. in all ways that we are, yet he was without sin. Mm-hmm. And so temptation in and of itself is not a sin. But that doesn't mean that we allow it into our lives. It crouches at the door. It wants to have us. It can't right. come in. We've, right. we've got to make sure that we are not allowing that in there through God's help and through listening to the Holy Spirit's guidance. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really good. I, I wanted to kind of lean into a Scripture text that we had discussed earlier, and it's out of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and uh, it's starting at verse 3. Um, and I kind of want to talk through this a little bit because we're talking about God created everything perfect, right? And in that perfection, He created the sexual desire, and uh, then sin stepped in, and because of that sin and that desire to kind of follow our own way, um, anything that steps outside of God's originally design um, and His truth uh, pulls us into a lifestyle of sin, right? So. We happen to be talking about, you know, maybe the homosexual lifestyle or, or the, you know, the gender confusion. And I don't really want to talk about labels. I want to talk about people. Mm-hmm. That's really what I want this discussion about. I want people to hear that we're, we're not talking about categories. We're talking about people mm-hmm. and who we are before God. And, uh, you know, someone who's not interested in things of Christ would probably not receive anything we're saying today. Mm-hmm. But those who are already walking with Christ or are interested in Christ— Please hear what we're saying. And this is what uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, starting in verse 3. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So you say, what, what is the will of God for my life? Your sanctification. It's telling you right there. For every single believer, just so we're clear. Yeah, for it, it, every like one single of those big believer. Questions people ask, like, what's the will? That is the will of God in your life, that you and, are sanctified and grow in Christ and, if you're and not, conform to Him. Maybe maybe you have grown up in church, but you're not really up on all the theological terms. It just means that that process where we become more and more like Christ, where we're being more and more set apart, we set apart those areas of our life as the Holy Spirit leads us to, so that it's for His use and not for us to be in right. charge of. Mm-hmm. Right. So it says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality... And there's other places that Scripture talks about, not just sexual immorality, but it talks about all of the things and that— And even a hint, Paul says. Yeah, even and a even hint a hint of. of. And then he goes on in verse 4, he says, "...that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all things." as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Now, this verse 7, to me, is where it starts really kind of the rubber meeting the road. For God has not called us for impurity, but in 
holiness. That's the key right there for every person, not just those who are grappling you know, with gender and those types of things. Then he says in verse 8, therefore, whoever disregards this, in other words, whoever disregards the will of God, which is to be sanctified. So you go back up to verse 3 there. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Then he drops down in verse 8. He says, therefore, whoever disregards this, this being the will of God, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So you're not just disregarding God's truth. You're not just disregarding uh, God's way. You're disregarding the presence of God in your life when you choose to exercise stepping into something he says steps out because the parameters these, of his these creation. These things ultimately are not, like society says, a social construct. Relationships between man and a woman aren't a social construct. This is something that was God's idea, and that reiterates right back to Genesis one twenty-seven that it's God's idea that this happened in the first place. And I, I, I've heard a lot lately about how maybe the church is going to be on the wrong side of the history for this. Uh, we were on the wrong side of the history oh, for other yeah. things. And that's and what makes hear, like, a believer have such right. a struggle with it, because mm-hmm. some of the stuff they say sounds so legit. It does. It sounds like, well, what about when the church had a problem with interracial marriage? And here's the thing. When you when you dig back to it, it wasn't the Bible. It was people, not even interpreting mm-hmm. Scripture, just coming up with their own things mm-hmm. um, to fulfill the things that they believed. Um, somebody of a different ethnicity can have a child with somebody of another ethnicity. Uh, Two men cannot, two women cannot. So God's created order is clearly seen in the things that go along with scripture and the things that people add fall by the wayside over time because we see that God has set it up for that. Just you simply saying that sounds unloving. I'm playing devil's advocate because that's what comes back at me. That sounds unloving what you just said. And if love is supposed to be the premier uh, moral code, um, right. What love, you just said sounds really unloving. It sounds unloving, like me um, almost screaming at the top of my lungs as I pull my toddler back from the street and a car comes. Sounds unloving to somebody who is just listening in. But it is it is love to try to tell someone something that would be the best for them. And anything God has created is the best for us. Right. And so that... Yeah, because I've heard, I've heard an awful lot recently in this particular arena of discussion that um, to follow the way of Christ doesn't allow human flourishing. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is the exact opposite of what Mm -hmm. Scripture teaches. And the first time I heard it, I was dumbfounded because I was thinking, Mm -hmm. how did you arrive at that? Mm. Because I, I can't follow my own way. I can't flourish as a human. And I'm thinking to myself... No, the ultimate flourishing of of a human was created into God's yeah. design yeah. of who he is, and that's what Christ is coming to do to allow us to flourish. Again, that's going back to this idea that we know what will allow that to happen best. Like in our minds, okay, here's some constraints is what we feel like God is putting on me, whether it's in realms of sexual desire, sexual sin, or a whole lot of other things in life, but to say, okay, no, God's putting these constraints on my life, but that doesn't allow me to flourish and really be life to be as good as I feel like it could if I could do these other things. And we feel like that that's just an unfair thing, but instead it's us acknowledging, no, God not only knows best, he desires our best. He's putting, he is putting some boundaries and restrictions on us, Mm -hmm. but for our good, not for or harm. So I want to I want to throw a phrase out there for you. You guys clean it up for me, because you you might say you can't say that. Um, 
for anyone who's listening who's struggling with a homosexual tendency, welcome to life. I agree with that statement. Yeah. And the idea that we are somehow restricting freedom to be in Christ is a misunderstanding of what it means to be in Christ. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. It's like your shackles have been taken off, and now you're free to run. You're free to run in this open field, but God isn't going to not tell you where the bear traps are. There are ways to become re-entangled with things that aren't supposed to be there. And so you might say, to tell me where the bear traps are and the landmines is restricting where I can run. It's not. It's just restricting where you should run. Let me, let me switch gears for a second because... You know, I said at the very beginning, I wanted people to hear our hearts and where mm-hmm. we're coming from, and that we want to be able to openly discuss these things. We're not afraid of discussion. Why, why is there such angst in the church toward this particular sin? I think it's you can start off objectively about something, or you can just look and say, hey, here's what the Bible says about it. Therefore, we should do this. And the more people that you'll come in contact with, because we our care and compassion should come uh, as we deal with people of any struggling with anything, even financial problems, um, where a benevolence fund pops up because of that and everything, because compassion is at the heart of love. And so as we start to see people struggling with these things in our own families and our friends and so forth, we begin to think less objectively about it oftentimes mm-hmm. and think more subjectively of, well, maybe not, or maybe we're struggling with those thoughts ourselves. And so we start, we, we start viewing it differently than when we were just looking from over the fence. And now it's on our side of the fence. And um, I have several family members, some who are struggling currently and some who have embraced it. And with, with both groups of people, my message to them is always, if our friendship, relationship, uh, family, inner workings ever break down, it's going to have to be on your end because I'm never going to write you off. I'm never going to say that you're beyond hope. I'm never going to also embrace what you're doing, but I'll always embrace you, that you are loved beyond measure. And if Christ loved you enough to die for you, I can't do any less because I don't deserve what Christ did for me. I have my own shortcomings, my own failures. I have to listen to the Holy Spirit on a daily basis as he's trying to weed out things in me that shouldn't be growing in me so that those things can move and they don't become something I'm living in. Um, that is what, that's part of his purpose for us, that early warning system and that um, reiterator to us of truth and illumination of Scripture. And so I, th- I think that people are hearing, you're hearing maybe something out there of, hey, I'm struggling with this. If I tell the church, if I tell my Christian friends, they will respond this way. Well, don't allow your inner thoughts of how they might respond to be their response. And I'll just say this, even if Christians or people who claim to be Christians say, you know what, you're done. I don't want to talk to you anymore or this or that. And they respond in the worst possible way. That is not Jesus's response to you. And they are... um, not representing him well as they've been called to do. If they're believers, and First John 4, 7, and 8 would call into question whether a believer would truly be able to hate you. I think ultimately um, 
people respond negatively and kind of like ugly toward things with fear. Mm -hmm. So there seems to be a really strong fear of this particular topic. Yeah, I think that's one reason we don't talk about it, right? As a church, we we like it's hush hush, and families don't come out and say, "Hey, um, I've got this child that's struggling with it," or "I personally," whatever. Nobody will come out and say, "Hey, help me with this because I'm struggling with it because it's so hush hush." What's what's the fear? Well, I think that there's two. I mean, there's this fear of seeming like this is all we care about, and so. Uh, some will say, you know, it seems like the church talks about issues of sexual immorality more than others. And I think to part of our response, as we said, to be has to be because it is being presented as a good thing to pursue. It's not like it's kind of neutral in the world around us. It's kind of on in advance. Um, I think there's also this fear that's operating from the other end of that, maybe from parents and others mm-hmm. who are saying, look at some of these things that are being pushed in advance in front of, and I, it makes me fearful uh, for the world and the things around, you know, we've got small kids that now we have to screen movies, you know, certain things that, hey, Mm -hmm. we're introducing all these things. So it's making us kind of have this angst in different directions. Uh, And I think that people are kind of wondering, how do you respond then? And what I want to encourage us to think about is we don't want to be belligerent in it, but we cannot be silent in something and saying, hey, it's being pushed and advanced in a society and world around us. If we are quiet, if nothing else, we're essentially ceding that to other people. Well, even in the some of the things we've already listed is outside of this topic, there are still laws of the land that yeah. speak into that. Mm-hmm. It's it's wrong to murder. You yeah. know, you get arrested yeah. for that. It's right. wrong to steal. You could get arrested for that. Right. Uh, you could lose a job over lying. Yeah. Right? Um, and, and those types of things. So there's still laws of the land, but there seems to be a pushing against any laws that would go along with this particular topic in the opposite direction. Well, I was going to say, yeah, the that are on the books because, yeah, the laws are actually now going the other way. And if I am not going to wholeheartedly embrace someone's desire to pick how they want to live in issues of sexuality and gender, it's actually the laws are going the other way and saying, like, I'm now in the wrong if I'm not right. completely accepting and, of this. Then. It's I, I been think, likened to... Over the years, I, th- I, th- I was reading something in uh, at Focus on the Family that said, you know, a lot of the, I guess, the celebration of homosexuality and the activism that has been going on has been going on now for 50 years. And I think through culture, that just makes us, it, it just pounds on the door seemingly mm-hmm. every day uh, to something new. And they have likened, when I say they, I guess I shouldn't say they, when this activist type group. Activist is key because there yeah. are a lot of uh, people who are grappling with this topic that are not activists. They don't have an agenda. Right, They're right, actually grappling right. with it. So, yeah, so, so the activists out. who have been pushing this have likened it to civil rights, the civil mm-hmm. rights movement. Mm. And that's why it's infiltrating our mm-hmm. laws. That's why it's infiltrating the workplace yeah. and uh, things like that. And um, so I think that's a, a big deal. I, I saw some statistics, and I, I brought them with me. I know we didn't say we were going to bring notes, but I did no, bring some fine. notes. That's just me. Um in 2012, a Gallup poll found that 3.5% of American adults identified as either lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, LGBT. Um, in 2017, a more recent poll 
that number went up to 4.5%. In the statistical world, when you're dealing with a sample size that large, that's a significant increase. But then if you break that number down, and you look at the dif- different generations of, um, of those adults who responded that I identify as LGBT, uh, millennials, the statistic was 8.1%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Gen X, which is um, 12%, that's very significant. So among yeah. the generations, this issue is really um, different. And that's but, actual you know, statistics. You know, back in the, in the 90s, the activist groups were already saying 10% for, across the board mm-hmm. when it was mm-hmm. around 2 yeah, and so there's that there's that push. Let's get it out there. Let's get this um, kind of to be the thing that that we we say it is, and so it's it's so in front of us now that it is something that the church has to answer. And I, I heard you talking, Pastor Daniel, about it being kind of a fear thing. And I think sometimes because we don't talk about it enough, not that we talk about it too much. There's some churches that probably talk about it too much and they're mm-hmm. not coming from well, a loving perspective. It depends on the tone, right? Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. The, the not loving, it, and the, the tone of how we come about it. Because well, yes, if you and I see eye to eye, I'm going to have a much more bold tone about <laughs> the way we believe than if yeah. than if we didn't, and then I would kind of so soften we, it. So. <laughs> in the churches where, where we believe we should love them and so forth, I've, I've heard these conversations amongst individuals, and they'll hear a term like homophobia, and they'll say, well, I'm not afraid of them. Put one in front of me right now. I'm not afraid of anybody. And, and, and we're not talking about fighting somebody. Right. But there is kind of an innate fear. I've talked to parents. I've been in youth ministry for 20 years. I've sat across from parents who's, mm-hmm. who, who have a child who's sleeping with somebody of the opposite sex. And there's a slight relief because at least it's a girl. You know, and I'm thinking that is the wrong way to think about this because all sexual sin is a sin against our body, and Mm -hmm. and it's damaging to who God's created you to be, and to the identity we're supposed to have solely in Christ. And so, the God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. We should have a caution to raise our children Mm -hmm. to know truth, uh, so that they don't fall into that. But we don't have to be afraid of of people ever. You know, that, that people are people for whom Christ died, and we can reach out to them, and we can show them Christ's love, and let them know that I deserved death for the things I've done and continue to do. That's why Jesus had to die for me, and I had to accept his death mm-hmm. in place of mine to have a relationship with God. It's the same no matter what you're dealing with. Yeah, I think there's, a, there's an aspect of life that and I've heard you speak to this before, Nate. Um, that the things that we could not imagine ourselves doing, we tend to come down harsher on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the things that we have experienced in our own lives, or we we have loved ones who are experiencing, we tend to backpedal a little bit and soften the blow. And that kind of muddies the water in our mm-hmm. discussion of what Scripture says. And that goes back to me saying, truth is outside of us, and we need to come with compassion and justice. In love, because I think we all need to really grapple with and understand the serious nature of sin, regardless of what form it takes, and what that sin is. Even when you're reading uh, Paul's writing in there in First Thessalonians, when he's talking about disregarding the Spirit, I think in one way here we disregard the Spirit is by thinking, "No, I've got to slug this out enough." Like I think in some ways where we see sin in our life and we feel like I cannot overcome that. 
that might be exactly the place we need to be because we're going to realize I cannot overcome that. But the Spirit, if we have genuinely professed faith and we're following Christ, we've been given the Spirit to, by His grace, continue to sanctify it. We need to rely on the Spirit and His uh, enabling grace to cease and put away in our life. And it's not just us. It's not, can I try hard enough? But we need to rely on God, the Spirit, uh, helping us overcome sin, regardless of what that looks like. Because mm-hmm. all, all sin equally separates us from God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, right. like you just referred to, that as we do new sins, our tolerance for those sins go up. And so we no longer think objectively about those particular sins anymore. And if you were going to go from God's perspective, who's never sinned, then all sins are still just as bad and an affront to him that as the really bad things that we think are really bad are to us. Mm-hmm. And so from his perspective, all of them demanded death. And when we look at those sins that we think, oh, I could never do that, or I can't understand people who do those things, we don't usually lead with love for the people in those because there's a factor in there where we don't get it. We don't get where they're coming from. And somehow we place ourselves on a higher platform than they are, like we couldn't do that. And when God looks at those doing the sins I do, the sins you do, the sins that we do around the circle here, uh, he says, you know, while they were still sinners, I died for us. Mm -hmm. I died for them. And I did that to demonstrate my love for them. And that's that's huge because we don't typically point at people who are in sin to demonstrate our love for them like God does. That example is is so perfect. That is why the, the highest ethic is love not because of the ways we, we change the definition of love over time and whether we accept this or accept that. It's because that true love would lay their life down for somebody else, and that's yeah. what God did for yeah. us. And, this, and, and society uh, outside of God's norm has blurred the lines of what that actually means. Right. And so I, I never intended for a podcast that we would have on this particular topic to come to a resolution and solve things. <laughs> I, I wanted the listener to hear that uh, we are willing to have the discussion. And if you are one that's grappling with this topic, I want you to know you are worth the discussion. Um, And so please come, let's sit down, let's talk about these things. I do want to leave it with one scripture text Mm -hmm. um, out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And and listening to what Paul is speaking to, he's not just speaking to those who may be interested in a homosexual lifestyle. He's speaking to all who are... Uh, who are broken in the spirit as far as sin goes. It says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Mm -hmm. I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away, I beg of you that when I present, when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of, of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And I know that there's some out there that's listening that feels like this is a stronghold over you. Listen to what verse 5 says. As we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And that goes back to that. uh, We're setting aside our selfish desires 
to bend ourselves to God's standard, and that's seeking holiness. And that's what we want for everybody, that we've been called to shepherd, right? I mean, we're, yeah. we're pastors, we're, we're called to shepherd, we're called to disciple, and we want everyone to bend or repent, that's another word that you can use there, to God's standard and His way. We're not trying to be hateful and saying, you're a sinner, you're broken, you're lost, you're a hopeless uh, thing. No, we're saying we're all sinners, we're all broken, and we're all hopeless without Christ. And at the end of the day, that's what we want the discussion to be around, is how we live life in Christ. And our doors are open. If, you, yep. if you're struggling with this, you're thinking these, you have some thoughts, or you're thinking, why, why do I feel this way, and how do I reconcile that with Scripture? And I, I, I've I followed Christ, but I still... I can't seem to shake this. What is it? Is the answer to, you know, marry somebody of the opposite gender and solve all that? You know, uh, your sexuality, even though Daniel said we're, we're se- we are sexual beings, it doesn't define you. Right. The most, otherwise Christ would have been a subhuman form when he became 100% man and 100% God. Right. He never married. And... Paul never married, right. and so there, having to have sex does not complete yes, you. As correct, a it person. doesn't complete you. Christ mm-hmm. does. It's an aspect of who you are, and you were created with that um, that ability, and especially to bring uh, more people into this world to glorify God, lift up His name, and to be intimate with uh, your your marital partner of the opposite sex. Uh, if if that's the path that God has you on, otherwise, their celibacy is a is a is a normal thing as well. So you may be grappling and say, well, what do I need to do? <clears throat> How do I shake this? Do I ever shake this? Is it something I'm always going to struggle with? How do I take up my cross daily? How do I deny myself when it's this thing? Isn't it so much more easy to uh, just to say this is who I am? If you're struggling with any of these things, our doors are open. Uh, we, we would love to talk to you about this. We're mm-hmm. not going to be shocked. We've talked to people about these issues before. There's nothing you can say that will shock us because we believe that any human being at any time can fall into any sin and that we have to be on our guard because of that. And, and Christ is the only answer to that. And the Holy Spirit helps us to avoid that because he's, he's, he's separated us from the power sin had o- over us. It no longer, sin doesn't have to be the only option. Mm-hmm. Every time there's temptation, God provides a way of escape. That's yeah, right. This is good. I, I think um, this has been a good discussion, a good opening discussion to not just this particular topic, but to any topic that we as uh, believers in Christ are, are struggling with in today's culture. And uh, I, I probably can think from the standpoint of a family who has a loved one who's grappling with this and they don't know how to respond. Uh, perhaps a future podcast then, if you guys wouldn't mind coming back and joining us, um, would be on how families can love on what's the proper response to when someone comes and says here's what i'm thinking about my Mm -hmm. life uh because we didn't really touch on that too much but i think we opened it up to where there can be some discussion around the table Mm -hmm. i'm hoping that this podcast will be spread to know that you know the bible does speak to these things christ does love and the fact that anyone grappling with anything is worth the discussion because mm-hmm. Christ is who gives us value. I do want to say that uh, Pastor Jeff 
uh, was not able to be here today because of scheduling. So I didn't want you to think that he, he well, where's that Pastor <laughs> Jeff? Why is he not here? But perhaps in the in the podcast to come, he would be able to be a part of the discussion yeah. as well. One more thing, Steve. Ta- yeah, tagging on to what you just said about when a loved one is is saying that I'm gay or struggling with this and how parents can deal with that or anyone in the family can deal with that. I did want to mention a resource on the night we had our discussion, but I didn't get a chance to or I didn't get to it. Um, There is something on um, Focus on the Family's website. It's called When a Loved One Says I'm Gay, and and it is a guide for parents. Uh, it is really, really good. I, I read over it, and um, I thought it was really good, well-documented, um, and just really good. Uh, so awesome. I would recommend that uh, be- even before our next <laughs> podcast and, and, on the subject. And for those that we were specifically talking to in this podcast, uh, a resource that we have even at Peninsula here, and you might be thinking, well, am I welcome at Peninsula? Absolutely. We'd love to see you Sunday. Uh, in our fellowship hall across from the worship center, there's a book called Is God Anti-Gay by Sam Albury. And Sam Albury is a pastor a- in Europe that has his entire life struggled with same-sex attraction, but does not give in to that and lives a, lives a godly lifestyle for Jesus. And so you're hearing from somebody who's actually probably had some of the same thoughts you've had and, and wrestled with Scripture to see how does he reconcile his life to come under the authority of Scripture rather than try to bring Scripture underneath his lifestyle. Awesome. Thank you for those resources that and mentioning those that's available. We do want to be a resource not just of these types of things, but we personally want to be a resource to you as well. And uh, as was already mentioned, our door's open. Um, our contact information's on our website, PeninsulaBaptist.com. And uh, reach out to us, and let's talk. And uh, thank you so much for listening in today, and we hope you have a God-filled, blessed day.